says we're recording, fellas. Hello, check, hello. Check. Welcome check. to Cocktails and Questions. Hallelujah, holy shit. For real this time, what a time to be alive. Um, we are in quarantine, and we are in the upside-down world, and we're all embracing irrationality, um, to be honest with you. But uh, just real quick before we get there, uh, specifically at my house, the podcast is sponsored by my friends at Desert Door Distillery. Oh yeah, um, they are a so tall distillery right down, not too far from me, uh, and they have converted their entire liquor manufacturing process into a hand sanitizing process uh, and distributing those eight ounce bottles for free. Uh, fantastic company! So I just want to give a shout out to them and, and say thank you uh, because we are indeed in the upside down world. We don't need to tell you, COVID nineteen, coronavirus, shelter in place, the whole bit, and. We were laughing because leading up to this, uh, Ben and James have a fantastic book available for now, uh, out now on Amazon called Embracing Irrationality. And, and I, I want you guys to talk about that in a second. But I, I was there at some of the Genesis meetings of it, and it was quite difficult to get people to wrap their head around what you were trying to get them to do. Uh, and I saw you guys work on it, work on it. It turned out a fantastic product, book, process, the whole bit. And now I don't think it's so hard for people to do. So Ben, could you give us a quick overview of what embracing rationality is and, and where we find ourselves? Yeah. So at the core of embracing rationality is this idea that inside these large corporations or in businesses or industry, uh, people have these constants, these beliefs of things that will never change. And they base their whole business on them. And it might be that there's gravity or that the sky is blue or that people are going to get on an airline and travel from one side of the country to the other. And sometimes those are, most of the time, those are right. But every once in a while, you know, something happens and Uber upends an entire industry or Airbnb changes the hotel category. But once those happen, they seem so obvious. But before that, you're crazy if you think that way. You're irrational. And so we've talked a lot about embracing rationality. And James and I have beat our head against, against the wall so many times trying to talk to people about what could happen. And over the last two weeks, it's like if you took all of those constants, you put them in a pressure cooker, you turned it up to 11, and you just exploded everything. I mean, every single category of clients that we have, of industry out there, um, it's upended. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. And so I think today what we wanted to talk about is a couple of those categories and just dive into it a little bit and talk about like what are those constants. But more importantly, now that all of this has happened at the exact same time and every business is going through this, what's going to happen on the other side? James, you want to add anything there? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great setup. I think about what Brandon talks about with the four tenant innovation and inside the constant concept is, you know, a lot of the assumptions we make on a daily basis are, are valid, but some of the ones that we rely on are invalid and it's our habit to fall back on all of them equally. Well, I think right now this four tenant of innovation is causing a lot of decision makers to not only panic, but also reassess what they really believe about how their business operates and how it will operate in the future. Um, and you see it against or across many, many different categories, some of which are in our own backyard, some of which are online, some of which are, you know, in other streams of business. Um, but no, it's it's I would argue been very validated over the last few weeks. And I think the framework is actually a really strong tool for helping people think through what the future is going to look like. Well, I think Agreed. we should just dive in. Two things, real quick. Just two things, real quick. What, what, what I mean when I say forced hand of innovation, um, 
is when you have no other choice. So innovation is often thought of as a choice. And what we've seen is, is that you actually have no choice all of a sudden. You can always weigh ROI and money and resources and time. And the reality is all that's out of the window and you have to do it or it's, or it's certain death. That's what I mean by forced hand of innovation. And then to your point earlier about the scale that we're seeing this thing on, uh, it, it, it hasn't not happened before. It happens often sometimes in counties or in regions with uh, localized disasters. But what we're seeing is an entire shot, shot in the arm for the, for the entire globe, which I think is fascinating. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no but uh, so what are some examples? I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of those. Let's talk about um, a few of those in industries. So there's three predictions that I've made over the past couple of years, and this is actually blowing up a couple of my predictions. One was that uh, my kids aren't going to go to college. Uh, and that education is going to be uh, just completely different, that we waste a lot of money. I want to talk about that. My second one is that um, that a, a huge percentage, like 85 to 90% of car dealers are going to go out of business uh, by 2025. Uh, but the third was that delivery, uh, that there's going to be a massive consolidation in the delivery market. So Uber Eats and Postmates of the world. That one was right until two weeks ago. And there was no other way for those guys out of it. And now... They are crushing it. And so uh, <laughs> start with, let's start at the top. Let's start with, with education because I think that's the one that's hitting us the hardest, mainly because my kids are supposed to be napping right now. And you're probably going to see them running out that door in about five minutes because I'm not watching them. Everybody's dealing with their kids, with their work, with home, all in quarantine. Um, but there's been, there's been this constant. And I always thought the constant was that education had a value. I think one of the constants, though, is that education is a place to put your kids uh, just for what, a little bit. Yeah. Constance, you know, it's babysitting. What are some of the constants in that education space that we're seeing go away right now? Well, I think that first and foremost, so let me backtrack for just one sec of all of the concepts that you have put on the table in our many discussions. The one about college, I always thought was the most far-fetched because a long established precept has been a college education equals economic advancement. And, and I don't know that that will cease to be true. But the idea that you have to go to a campus to do it um, and a lot of the costs associated with what have been driving um, costs in higher education um, are very much in question right now. For the longest time, the idea of a hallowed university with buildings full of uh, tweed jacket wearing professors um, <laughs> seemed like an unimpeachable uh, assumption. Now we're finding out that, in fact, you can kick everybody off campus and put them online. Um, in a matter of days, and it seems to be perfectly adequate. So that is a great example of a false constant that I think is being exposed right now, but I don't know that it's the only one in education. Yeah, you, you say perfectly adequate, and um, I don't often talk about my personal life on here, but uh, we are, new times are afoot. So I am a father of two young children, and you know, you look at Stanford and MIT and people who have open sourced their online learning platforms for years prior because not because they had a crystal ball into COVID, but because they understood trends and democratization of, of education, they're ahead of the curve. And for a long time, it's been, you know, they'll throw up privacy concerns or uh, digital addiction as reasons not to digitize lesson plans. And I wholly agree with all of that. But what you're, what I am going through is these, fragmented, desperate systems that are activated by QR codes that you got to have this app and this app, but there's actually not a person at a local school level that understands technology and user experience to make, to tie it all together. So all of a sudden we're finding you have to be 
an employee, an employer, uh, a parent, and a teacher. And I think you know the the constant that is exploded to me is that um, I employ people to teach my children, and now I'm I'm dealing with all of that and, and having to sort that out. So yeah, in universities, but I, I think what we're seeing is um, the upending of a much younger generation feeling the impacts of this. Well, and also the I think a constant there is that you that you have to spend very little, if any, mental effort to employ those people. So they're done and done by the federal government or the local government, your taxes pay for it, or you pay for private school, but then you've outsourced that. Today, you're, you're an active participant in gathering that knowledge, teaching that knowledge, understanding if your kids are, are doing you know something with it. So I've, I've been kicking around this idea. I think it's really interesting. So the pushback that I always got when I said my kids aren't going to go to college is, First, that they have to, otherwise they're not going to be successful. And then number two, that it's really not about the the actual things you learn, but it's about the fact that you're around people the and network. That you, you, the network and that you learn social skills. Well, that's not happening right now. We've seen that kids are moving this direction where they don't want to get their license when they turn 16 because a lot of their life is virtual. And so I think this is almost that like just hyper, like I said, pressure cooker moment where we're starting to see that that is a possibility. And this idea I've been kicking around, I'd love your take on it, but we have, we have some clients who we, we try not to work with these clients, but they do this zero based budgeting where at the beginning of the year, you just start with zero budget and then you have to build it all the way up from the, from the bottom. I'm thinking that, that people in businesses now need to be build a zero based revenue scenario, which is, Oh yeah. Everything that we had, just how would it go to zero? How would we? Because as a college, all of a sudden, if your if your whole value prop was that we had this beautiful campus that people come to, that's not the case. You don't have that anymore. And if you're Harvard or Yale, and you also said our network was the best thing, and now that's not necessarily the case, then is Coursera or LinkedIn Learning or Khan Academy or somebody else ten times better than you at delivering content? So yes. you can't actually see this because of the grainy nature. First off, I'm going to talk to IT about how Brandon got so much better of a camera. But if you go on, Coursera is actually, you can't see it, but the, the Coursera actually just sent me this one earlier today, which is University of Illinois Master's Online in Accounting, which is, I mean, granted, like, there's a lot of things I think are important, but accounting is an important discipline. But now this is even calling into question whether or not you really even need credentials to get in. Like, it's very Darwinian, right? This whole idea of like, we're just going to put you in. And if you float, great. If not, you're out. But so you're talking about um, the, the principle of on-campus education, the principle of the network. But I'm also talk, thinking about like the accreditation perspective. Like the whole like, thing feels like it's just sort of becoming untethered from itself. Everything's up for grabs right now. Yeah, well, I think this, this the center, this constant, I think that, that has always been my argument is that if you look at the ROI of education, it's really based on the network that you have or the accreditation. It's not actually based on the output or the impact that you have in the economy. So just because you go to Harvard doesn't mean that you're better at your job or that you provide more. But if somebody could, a Coursera, a Khan Academy, somebody like that, if somebody could tie the value of a student back to the actual impact that they would have on a business, all of a sudden that's a different model. Like you're paying for performance, you know, and imagine if, if those folks went and struck a deal with GE or with Google or with 
Amazon and said, you pay us for access to the best students in the world who we've, who we've sort of pre-trained on your criteria. That's better for the student. That's better for the business. That's better for everybody. That's right. I mean, there's, there, there's a proxy for that in income-based tuition, which is this concept of uh, a lot of... Um, I mean, we got to come up with a better term because I was about to say born digital. We we got to come up with like like born post COVID or something, right? But yeah. these born these born digital companies employ what's called uh, an income based tuition, which is essentially we'll just take a percentage of whatever you get out of school. And what that does is it aligns all the incentives all the way through. It, it doesn't quite get to your point though, which is just because you get paid a lot doesn't mean your impact is is commensurate, right? Um, yep. which, which I think is, is what you're talking about. It, and, and the, when I look at the constants that are, that are being blown up, I don't know if this one's being blown up or it's simply being accelerated because if you look at the devaluation of accreditation, right? So I, I have my MBA and I'm the first person to tell people they need to think long and hard about whether or not they need it. Right. It long, long are the days from when you could just say, I have an MBA and somebody would give you six figures at, 20 something years old and you've never done anything. And that's not an ages comment. That's just the way it used to be. And now everybody has an MBA, right? So it started with these specialized things and then it got a little bit broader and a little bit broader. And it seemed to kind of pause for a second. And I think that what we're seeing is the future that we've done several podcasts around just to your point, putting a pressure cooker turned to 11 and, and now we're here. And, and one of the value props, the, the longstanding value props was the network and the personal interaction, right? That only presupposes that that's a valuable skill if we all go back to work. And we're going to get there and we're going to talk about constants. But I mean, my daughter had a Google Hangout with her class at 9 a.m. and they're all up and they're all talking. So the act of the act, the value of going to a place presupposes that we're all going to go back to a place in mass when this thing gets the the, the dance That's of the hammer. In the so we're going yeah. to ask every every one of these: Are we going back? So, um, will we will we go back to pre coronavirus college and education? Will we forget about this in six or twelve months from now, or has this completely changed and we're going to see a drastically different EDU landscape, James? Uh, I, I don't know that you'll see it immediately, but I do think that over the next few years, you will, we will have validated the ability to train people and educate them online. And as a result, uh, universities will think long and hard about the amount of bodies they want to enroll on campus versus digitally. And the shift will be towards digital. Brandon, this is going to be uh, a prevailing theme through this podcast. I don't think anything's going back to normal. I think we are. It is we have we have a pre-COVID and a post-COVID. I think the the generation that's coming up now will constantly tag back to this time as to the reason why they are the way they are, and that's going to be shaped by the way we learn, the way we eat, the way we work, the whole thing. I don't think anything's going to go back to it. I think we're going to get better at it, and I think it will augment from where it is now. But but I don't think we're going back to to pre-COVID days, if you will. Yeah. I actually think that this is going to hit the high end, which is not usually what gets hit. But when you think about innovation, that is oftentimes the place that people go after, which is, you know, I send my, my girls to a, uh, a school, you know, it's a private school for four year olds, which I don't know what the hell they do there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they, you know, but, but they're on zoom 
right now they're having the they're having the best time that they've ever had. Now we we have to take care of them, so it's very different. But it does make you question. Okay, well, well are you going to go back to that? And and would we pay the same amount? Um, and so I, I just think that I think that that market is going to get hit hard. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know that it's going back. Uh, okay, so that's, that's education. Let me let me let me share one thing real quick about education. One constant that not that did not get blown up as I run my family, uh, the way we run teams, right? So we do standups, we have confluence pages and I map <laughs> and, and I mapped out, I mapped, it's efficient. Oh, man. And always learning and, something new. And, uh, we mapped out the daily schedules, right? So it's like parent schedule, kid schedule, and the kid schedule is broken out into half hour, an hour blocks. And it's like yoga, art time, uh, workbook, math, stretch, go play outside, all this shit. And mine is literally work, 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 <laughs> work, work. It just, it just goes to show like, those are the best times of your life, man. There's a visual proof right there. Every morning I wake up, I'm like, damn, being a, being a young kid is pretty cool. So you're the scrum master for the household? A terrible one. Oh, great. What, yeah. So what other categories are we thinking about that are going to be impacted that um, won't come back the same way? I've got a couple. Man, yeah, I think we got to talk about uh, retail. I think we got to talk about restaurant, but particularly, I think we should talk about grocery. So, what do you guys see? Think it, what do you what do you see as the constant in grocery, and, and what do you think is going to change? Well, what I'm seeing is that people had relied, and some of the numbers say up, you know, fifty to fifty five percent of the meals were delivered or given by you know or consumed at restaurants or through restaurants. Um, that's essentially gone down to next to nothing. Um, everyone talked about how grocery was kind of an antiquated model. Um, it is very local, but at the end of the day, there was a struggle to get people to buy online, pick up in store, pick curbside, those kinds of things. And now that's all you can do. I mean, that's, that is where you get sustenance and the grocers are the ones who are seeing the biggest uptick, I think of any industry right now. So I guess, you know, the constant for me was, a lot of people still thought you had to go to grocery. What is it? Something like 40% of the new, of the online orders that are happening right now are the first online orders of grocery. Sure. Uh, right. and, and for me, I think it does two things. It still makes me question, do you need the grocery store? And are they winning just because they have the food and they have the ability to deliver it? Uh, but two, you know, will people now who have gone and ordered groceries and had them either picked up or delivered, Will they ever go back to the grocery store afterwards? So I think the the, the question rests on the, the assumption that people need to thump the melon. For the longest time, the perceived hurdle <laughs> for no, I'm not joking. The perceived hurdle for massive I'm laughing because I agree of, yeah. of grocery has been. I want to actually see the quality of produce and meat, like the things that are processed or boxed or prefabricated that are up on the shelf. The, the quality is assumed that like the, the area where people were having the hardest time was they would get home. Um, and it's not unlike me when I get um, through the drive through at a restaurant, and they fucked up my order. And I just like have this white hot meltdown where I'm like, oh, I got to drive back. People don't want to actually leave the judgment of what quality is in food up to somebody whose job it is, is to run around and grab things off of the shelf. Um, that could change. That could easily change, particularly um, if there are waves of this pandemic, right? If people adjust back in the middle of the summer and then all of a sudden we have another one and everybody's forced to shelter in place again, quality versus 
cleanliness and convenience, that will shift and that could tip it back into mass adoption. I think that's where that's going to be. What do you think, Brian? Uh, <clears throat> so I, I shared a thing with you guys today. It, it's, a, it's a work in progress about like fe- future anthropologies, right? And I think what we're watching is the rewiring of an entire uh, world. And I, I think that grocery stores are going to continue to have banner year over year for a long time. I think this, uh, to James's point, this, this epidemic, if you, if pandemic, if you look at the science, this thing comes in waves, but it don't, it doesn't only come in Corona waves. It's going to come, but what's happens the next time we have a flu, right? Uh, the flu by some markers are deadlier and this, that, and the other. And I think people are going to be in a state of fear and panic. So I'm old enough to have had grandparents that lived through the, the great depression and it was always tagged back to they're like that because of the depression they're like that. And I think that the habits that are formed. And so uh, science shows that 66 days is the optimal time to form a habit. And this thing is going to last longer than 66 days, which means on the end of this, what we are coming out with is fully developed habits. Those habits are going to be online shopping. They're going to be social distancing. They're going to be uh, a responsible hoarder mentality. And I don't think, I, I think groceries are, grocery is here to stay. Now you brought up something interesting, which is, do you need a store or do you just need like a giant walk-in refrigerator that's as big as a store to allow more workers, to allow more throughput? James's thing about um, picking protein. And I'm one of those people. I don't let people pick my protein, but I'll let you pick my can of beans. The reality is, is I, I have to let people pick my protein now. And my pickiness level has gone down, right? I was laughing because if you went in the grocery stores in Austin, Texas, all of the gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan soup cans were gone, and Campbell's was just fine, right? So people's mm-hmm. tastes and the ethics in time of crisis is fluid. And if, if we get to a point where you're actually eating soup for sustenance on multiple days, you're not going to give a shit if it's vegan or not. And if, if this thing sustains, I will let people pick my ribeyes. Again, my verdict is that I think this is the the – the new normal. I got to come up with a better name for the new normal because I don't think we, this isn't normal. Uh, it will ultimately get there, but I think it's going to be like this for a long time. And then James, you think it goes back to, to pre or not? Uh, yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I think it all rests on exactly what Brandon was talking about, which is to the extent to which this persists. If we're still having this same issue in September, Oh yeah. Like the supply chain will be forced to adapt. Like the shelf, like there will be no point in shelf space. Like the whole idea of like, do we start converting grocery stores into warehouses for distribution? Well, that will be the question, right? That's a it, whole, it's a logistics play. I didn't even think about that. The whole upending of the market of uh, pay for placement inside of grocery and C store, mm-hmm. a, a convenience store, right? Like I pay mm-hmm. a premium for this footprint in this store. Sure. And there's and there's companies that only handle that that employ mm-hmm. people that only do that. And there's an economy around why this box of cereal is one meter higher than this box of cereal and all that has the potential. You're, you're, way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, and all the CPG brands have been, <laughs> had all the CPG brands had been struggling with how to adapt to the changes in shopper marketing for the longest time. It had always been, you need this coupon at this eye level and you expect to pay this amount for it in order to compete and get it right in the right place. And with .com and online shopping that's changed, this is only going to make it worse. I mean, the whole idea of like investing in shopper marketing right now makes no sense at all, um, much less like broadcast television or anything like that. So yeah, all of that. My take on it is that, you know, 
people always underestimate how long how long it's going to take for a technology to disrupt because it seems like it's just so out there. And grocery has been one of those where people have to thump the melon. Like they're just not going to pick the, not going to let somebody else pick my steak. But the second that you get a good experience, then you go, well, was that really worth an hour a week for me to go do that when I'm really busy? And so I think everyone is being forced into that. I think that this is going to accelerate that and it's going to be really hard to come back from. And I think that what we're going to see is nobody disagreed that in 30 or 40 years, you probably won't go to the grocery store. It just won't exist. Like that's a very novel concept. Most people agree with that. I don't know. But yeah. I think that this probably accelerated it by 100%. So, you know, we're going to start to see that happen so much faster. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to go back to pre. I think it's going to be very different. I think the digital that gets a shot in the arm from everything that's happened with coronavirus, but I think particularly uh, in retail, I think restaurant, that's one we got to talk about. I mean, restaurant is one where delivery has been sort of eating their lunch for a long time. Uh, but that's now, yeah, now it's, it's the only thing that you can, you can rely on. Um, I mean, what's the constant, what's the constant in restaurant that you need a restaurant? The people will sit down and order off of a menu and enjoy their food while they sit there. Yep. And that, that has always been the argument, right? That, you know, people, uh, it's proximity based. Uh, people are going to eat near their office. They're going to eat on their path or their way home. Um, and that goes away going back to that zero based budget, zero based revenue. Um, if you don't have delivery, you have zero revenue right now. Yeah. And a lot of restaurants are, are in that space. Um, I mean, is it, do you think that's a constant? Is there another constant we didn't think about? That they serve food? That they serve yeah. food? That, they, that, their, that their menu is uh, somewhat static? Uh, that they need to serve things that are popular to people? Some of the things that I've been seeing that uh, it's really interesting in the restaurant space, <clears throat> two things, uh, doing what I do for a living and in hearing them say how much time and money they don't have in order to instill online ordering has been completely <laughs> shown to be like they're full of shit. Uh, the other one is that they cannot function as a grocer themselves. So a small tag back to the last topic is uh, at least in, in my neighborhood in uh, surrounding radius restaurants are turning into grocery stores because they have this, these produce, which are um, depreciating assets that they need to move. And they know that they cannot move them in time in order to realize any revenue or profit from them. So they open up during off hours to function like a market. They are whole heads of lettuce, whole bowls of citrus, eggs. They are not prepared. It's just, they function just like a grocery store. So I think the constant of what people need versus what people want has been, has been totally disrupted. You almost go back to these like micro markets and, Every, uh, Farmer, every farmers market. markets and things like that yeah. exactly yeah it's it's, pre it's pretty interesting but the you know you brought up the constant of having to be there that that constant being blown up has trickled the two the two factor effect of one uh uh aggregates and the online um ordering so uber eats and all, and all this stuff who i jokingly said now they're best friends but i, I definitely mean it and then the other one is that you need a a dining room, right? So a lot of times you'll pay for the service of a waiter and you'll you pay for the ambiance, if you will, and the craft cocktails. And you don't need that stuff to make money as long as you can provide what people need in the time of need, which is pretty interesting. And this Speaking is the of things that where I think about the 
the things that you preach and the things that you do. So I've had this, this has been my number one prediction. And I'm just like, I've, I've bet it all on this one, which is that there will be a massive consolidation in the food delivery space because it doesn't make sense economically. It just does not make sense for this many, this many companies to be spending that much money acquiring customers because it's just so disparate. The only way it works is if every restaurant closes down and the only way you can get food is by having it delivered. And, which is the, I guess, the opposite of zero-based revenue, right? It's the hundred-based <laughs> revenue, right? Hundred percent. Work, work revenue. back, work back from infinity. Yeah, right. Like I mean, it is, but but that is what has happened now. And right. restaurants were at a point where you know we talk to them every day about you have to own your customer, you have to have a delivery capability, and to your point, they just in some cases weren't ready for it now and. They weren't ready to give up as much margin as they have to with these uh, delivery partners. Now they don't have a choice. And I think that you're going to see that they're going to have banner years. Uh, they're going to go from not making any money to absolutely killing it. And the food, think, the food delivery or the restaurants, sorry. The food delivery. I think, I think Uber Eats, I think Postmates, I think those, those groups uh, at least for the next two or three quarters are going to, are going to figure that out. And, and the big difference is customer acquisition costs. They had to spend so much to acquire customers. Now customers have to come to them. And, and then again, that comes back to those restaurants are not going to own those customers. Postmates is going to own that customer and they're not going to have to go back and acquire that person. And once you get a great meal delivered, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again, especially if you have no other option. And, and just to put a, put a fine point on that, and this is a, I feel like I feel like Will Smith and I am legend is like if anyone's out there you're listening there is a there is a warning inside of that so oftentimes we talk about how you can have things good cheap and fast and you can pick two of them and watching these people come online overnight I can guarantee that they're not good I can get almost guarantee that they were uh, cheap and fast which means there will be mistakes so post this covid and once these restaurants specifically plug the holes of their sinking ship they need to go back quickly and make sure that the infrastructure is in place, that the design is correct, because this is a chance for you to capture the customer data that you haven't had before, and you just got to get it right. And that's that's my warning from the the peer of Manhattan. So we have time for one more, um, but I think we have to do sort of a lightning discussion on this one. Um, I, I I don't know that I totally agree that grocery stores will go away, and I don't know that I totally agree that restaurants will go away. I I, I, I think there's a sense of permanence for both of those. But the question is, are movie theaters going to come back or are they gone? I mean, if anybody's getting crushed right now, it is the movie theaters. And they were already had their back up against the wall with Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO, all of these different things that were coming on. You know, you, it, the, the industry trend was to now start putting high-end dining in and reclining chairs, right? Um, and the question is like, is that going to be enough to bring it back? So I would put it to the team, do movie theaters come back from this? Or did we all collectively see our last big screen cinematic introduction when we all went to go see Avengers Endgame? I don't think so. Just real real is, quick. like, Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen our last... Uh, big screen adventure what i do think is we've I've seen, we've seen the last big screen adventure with 80 other people if i were in the movie business i would go out and i would buy every single karaoke shop from coast to coast and border to border and i would turn them into micro intimate 
high-end movie theaters that I can watch with six people because what I do miss is intimate gatherings. I do not miss being in hordes of people, and I think people are going to be adverse to that. But I would pay to sit with my friends, get cocktails served with me in a in a movie-style theater that only sits eight people. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think if there's any hangover from this, it's going to be that they're, at least for the next probably one to two years, People are going to wonder, what is the guy that is rubbing his elbow up against him? <laughs> right. And he just spilled his popcorn. And, you know, that was already gross enough. But with add a little Corona in there and it's just not it's Ooh. no longer acceptable. So, there, uh, you know, there's been theaters who are now selling every other seat. That's still not enough. The idea of being in a room with hundreds of people when you don't have to and you have a viable, in some cases, better alternative is it's going to, it's going to absolutely crush them. And I hate it. I hate to see people like Alamo draft house here in Austin who are fantastic establishments who I constantly patronize because I love that experience, but now I just, I don't want it. I don't need it, which is probably the bigger thing is I don't need it because I've got something else. But then you start to see stuff pop up. Like uh, Netflix now has the ability to watch movies together with your friends over uh, you know, video conference or video chat. I think you'll start to see something like that. Brandon, I like that idea though. I didn't think about that, but like a micro movie theater. But real quick, I think you guys are missing the bigger question, which is, are there even going to be movies? Like the reality is, yes. can you even go out and shoot a film right now? Like movie uh, theaters yeah. don't just assume people, they assume content. And when you look at it, the, the, the fallback has always been like CGI and animation. And granted, there have been gains in that. But there are even questions as to whether or not the capacity exists to offset actual content demand needs. The the supply chain right now in the video games is getting crushed because a lot of the fallback CGI animation horsepower was coming out of China. And that all got taken offline. So that's going to come back online. The idea of a movie in the next year, a substantive blockbuster film is already kind of a dry season. Seems completely remote yeah. and far-fetched at this point, if only because... Everything's been shut down. Commercials, advertising, all of it is being put on hold. We're collectively, globally, we're sheltering in place. So I think that that's the thing you've got to solve for, not necessarily just whether or not it's clean or, or engaging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, that's a, that's a production level question, which gets into regulation. And I, that's like, it, uh, it depends answer because right now it, you can't, it's, it's borderline illegal to gather the amount of people it takes to make a movie the way that we know it. And that is it. That's the then thing. it gets it. That, then it gets into, and this is where everyone thought I was crazy, but maybe I am right about this uh, vertical TV shit. Maybe content is one person in an office maybe. with a haircut and the need of a shave. Put my phone <laughs> up. You know, like, and then maybe it's we'll like, just, hey, this is we'll just act out Shakespearean plays with broadcast software, and, well, and it's going to have to be something like that. I mean, I talked to I talked to a major studio, and and we're. The, the, I mean, they're saying by July, August timeframe, they're out of content. There's yep. nothing left. And so uh, there's just, there's nothing to put out there. So you're going to have to think about, right? I mean, three dudes in, sitting, sitting in there. <laughs> Hopefully whoever's listening to this appreciates this because you're going to get a lot more crap. <laughs> That's really funny. I do think that there's probably opportunities for studios. The one thing that I think you'll see in, in everybody... To your point, Brandon, everybody's going to think I'm crazy. I think studios will be forced to go back and recut old film with unused footage. I, I think that there's an opportunity to go back to movies and take all of that shit that is sitting on a hard drive somewhere and say, 
here's the alt ending to Weekend at Bernie's Two or some shit like that. Yeah. But here's the here's the here's the un, un, unedited edition of Top Gun, where it turns out that all Soviets won or something like that. <laughs> shit, I'll be in. But uh, so th- I think we got to do more of these, man. This is, this is a fascinating time to be alive, and I, I I used to say that kind of in jest, but I mean that now. Before we get out of here, is is there a coolest thing you guys have seen this week, or is it just like, hey, man, I'm just I'm happy to uh, be sitting where I'm sitting, and uh, you live to fight another day. You guys got a coolest thing? Yeah. I got, I got two. I, I've got one that's great and one that's uh, not so great. I think the one that is is great is there's a local restaurant here in town, uh, El Arroyo, and uh, I was talking to the guy who owns El Arroyo, uh, and he was talking about how hard it was because they own a couple of different restaurants and they had to uh, furlough a bunch of their staff, uh, but they figured out that they could do margarita drive-through and delivery and innovation at its best. It took off so fast that they got to hire back all of the staff from all of their other restaurants just to come back and serve margaritas to people who were trapped in their house, which I thought was just amazing. That's that's pretty cool. So that was my favorite thing. The scariest thing I saw today was uh, the uh, data that came out of cell phone um, tracking or location data from the bros who were down in Florida. Oh, Jesus Christ in Fort Lauderdale and all, oh. all over the, the place uh, who were not worried about coronavirus. They tracked the actual cell phone activity in, on the beach where those folks were. And then two a week or two later where they have gone and it maps pretty closely to the major outbreaks of coronavirus. And you just see the massive spread of, and I mean, that's a whole nother show around. That's just the worst data for good and using data for bad. But that just shows oh. that some people are idiots. And that's all I got. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I only have like one cool thing this week, but it was uh, the National Science Foundation is actually uh, fielding proposals now for technology and innovation ideas to fight COVID-19. And I think you're going to see some pretty cool stuff going up. Um, because they are a .gov address, there's nothing, there's no landing page. You just have to go, but it says request for SBIR, STTR, phase one proposals addressing COVID-19. So if you want to Google that, you'll find it. And if you have a good idea, there might be some money for you there. Nice. I like it. Uh, when I think about this virus and what's happening, I, I, I wouldn't be uh, too far out of character for me to think that maybe some of this stuff is supposed to happen because of this headline, which I'll read it. Uh, influencer who participated in toilet licking challenge says he tested positive for coronavirus. So Not sure where he got it though. Not sure. There, there, is, there is a Darwinian element that is humorous to me at this point in time. But the coolest thing that I've seen um, is a Facebook post that went a little bit viral. You guys may have seen it. Uh, Diane Ang, who is an artist who has uh, an expat and has been in China, has essentially written his breakdown over the past two months uh, to help people through the phases of uh, uh, reality like this hitting you and what you may expect in time. We can share it. Uh, it's it's pretty good. It's kind of like the 12 steps of recovery, right? It's like first comes denial, then comes anger, the whole shit. And it's But he's just been on the front lines for the past two months, so I thought it was pretty cool. Um, anything else to add before we go? I think that's it. That's it. Solid 40 minutes. 
Yeah. Solid 40 minutes and uh, back to being on FaceTime and camera with you guys. It was nice to see you yet again today. Uh, for cocktails and questions, for Ben, for James, for Brandon, uh, be good to yourselves. A good one out there. Stay clean, stay safe, stay home, at least for a little bit longer. Until next time. Bye. Take care.